This podcast of the Tailgate Society is sponsored by Revelton Distilling Company. When Rob and Christy Taylor started following the Kentucky Bourbon Trail in 2012, they fell in love with not only bourbon, but the entire distilling process. So they opened Revelton Distillery, where they offer a family of products including vodka, gin, whiskey, and Revelton Shine. Come visit the tasting room at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, or pick some up at your local Hy-Vee or Fairway grocery store. This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. I got you. Okay. And how long you guys, you guys have been doing this for a while, haven't you? About a year and a half. Year yeah, and a half? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How did so, it all start? Uh, we were the two most pathetic people. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest screen, buddy murder until someone understands that it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women. I make this noise just because I can. And we'll all join in to that original sin. So let's get rowdy and reckless. Let's get rowdy and reckless. Let's get rowdy and reckless. Just for the hell of it. Just for the hell of it. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of Old Man Strength, a podcast of the Tailgate Society and brought to you by Revelton Distilling Company in Osceola, Iowa. I am Tim Johnson, joined as always by Chris Shipley. Chris, how are we doing this evening? Uh, I was doing great till about an hour ago when Caitlin showed up and my n- empty nest uh, has now been ended by Caitlin coming back. She's starting student teaching. So I'm now in the house with two teachers and I'm already being taught everything that I'm doing. <laughs> it's going to be a long spring. I can tell you right now. Apparently I cough wrong. I don't cough correctly. I've had a cough this week and I coughed into my, into my fist and both my wife and my kid about freaked out. They're like, how come you're not coughing into your elbow? And I was like, who, what? I never coughed in my elbow in my life. Who does that? And then it just delved into there. So I, I, I apparently can't cough correctly. I don't, I don't have the right hygiene. It's a whole thing. Um, yeah, I'm. Why am I not surprised in any way, shape, or form? What that you're not on my side? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it keeps you humble. That's good, right? Also, it's going to be a long semester because if I have to hear them talk about teacher stuff for the next four months, I'm I'm going to need a new hobby. Well, you can just hide in the room you're in right now, and I think that's you'll true. Be fine. That's true because they don't come down here. <laughs> I think I think uh, the problem is that you're going to hide for about a week, and then you're going to you're going to come upstairs, and they're not even going to notice you've been gone. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, I'm really really excited to talk to our guest this evening. Um, and Chris, since you are the one who scored us this fantastic guest, I will let you go ahead and make the introduction. Okay. Well. Uh, we are as as very honored to have uh, John Walters, Voice of the Cyclones, on tonight. Uh, I ran into John. Uh, he was doing a book signing outside of Shields for Size Perfect Day. 
uh, I got a copy signed, which John, you would like to know, I'm going to donate to my daughter's first ever elementary school class for her to read to her school kids. So she's kind of excited to do that. So uh, he was kind enough to sign it for me and we got to talking. He claims that he's listened to our podcast before. We'll find out later. So then I thought, well, I should just ask him to come on and he graciously agreed. So thanks for coming on, John. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I got two teachers here in my house too, so I can relate. It's all good. Do you do anything right, John? That's the question. Pretty much no. Uh, Yeah, I understand completely. Right? If I get talked to like a kindergartner one more time, my wife's favorite phrase is, did you know that if you did this, then this would happen? (laughs) Oh, good. Once you get the coughing down, it's all downhill from there. (laughs) It's all personal hygiene with me, John, apparently. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, I'm going to let that one go. Um, well, yeah, John, uh, thank you very much for joining us. We're, we're very excited. Uh, Chris has mentioned uh, before that we are both Cyclones, but I think we have a lot of things uh, that we want to cover, not just Iowa State sports with you. Uh, okay. We reached out to our listeners and friends and family as well for questions, so... I think, I guess, be prepared for a little bit of anything. I'm prepared. I was a Boy Scout. <laughs> Perfect. Always prepared. So I, why don't you go ahead and give uh, a, a brief, I guess, <laughs> as brief as you possibly can for the, the number of years that you have been covering Central Iowa sports. Uh, I, I, Grew up in eastern Iowa, but was still very familiar with what was going on in, in kind of the Des Moines area. And then once I moved there for for school, it's it, you're you are Central Iowa sports, in my opinion, for as long as I, I can remember. I've been around it for a long time. And, um, you know, I I went to Drake University. I'm from the Chicago area, uh, the suburbs, Glen Ellen, Illinois, which is right by Wheaton and Naperville, if you guys are familiar with that area. Absolutely. And uh, went to Glombard West High School, which was a, a big high school, um, loves, loved athletics, <laughs> played sports every single day after school. But I wasn't very good, as, as Johnny Orr would say, he's not very good. <laughs> and so. Uh, so anyway, I was fortunate that I knew I wanted to be around sports on a daily basis. And we had a high school radio station. So I started calling games when I was a sophomore in high school, doing our football and basketball games on the radio. And. Love the Chicago announcers, Jim Durham and Harry Carey and Lloyd Pettit and all these guys listening to them. And so always loved announcers and just kind of thought it was a cool thing. And then uh, kind of decided when I started doing those games in high school that that's what I wanted to do. And I went to Drake University and, you know, came to Iowa with the intention of four years in in Des Moines. And then I'm out of here. And uh, man, 42 years later, here I am. And there's absolutely no place I'd rather be. I, I love Iowa. The people here are fantastic, and um, it's just been an awesome experience for me. And so I started working for Pete Taylor at Channel 8 in Des Moines when I was a junior at Drake and then went full-time when I graduated. And I'm zipping through this fast, but it was – started kept doing games. I just kept doing games the whole time at Drake, and then I did Drake Women, and then I did Drake Men. And then in 1996, when I left Channel 8, I went to channel five as the sports director and that gave me the opportunity to do TV play-by-play with Gary Thompson and do the cyclone television network as it was back then. And 
that was an awesome experience. And so uh, sports director channel five and did the, did the games uh, for TV from 96 through 2003 when Pete passed away. And then when Pete died, I uh, took over for him as uh, radio voice, of the Cyclones. This is my 19th season as radio voice, of the Cyclones. And in 2012, kind of in the middle of that, because all this kind of stuff kind of overlaps. 2012, I left Channel 5 to work full-time at Iowa State when Jamie Pollard started Cyclones.tv. So um, that's kind of the Reader's Digest version of how it all happened. There's a lot of blanks that you can fill in in between there. But um, I've never left, never left Des Moines or Iowa. You know, I've just been in this market the whole time. And it's just been an awesome experience. I've met so many great people. And for me, I mean, I don't know how it can get any better as an Iowa Stater to have worked with Pete Taylor and Gary Thompson and Eric Haft. I mean, that's just as good as it can possibly get. And I, I've been really blessed. So I feel very fortunate. I, uh, I grew up uh, in central Iowa, grew up in Des Moines. So uh, I heard both sides of it, uh, Pete, uh, on the radio calls. And then you, of course, with, with Gary Thompson on TV, um, and I can remember freshman and sophomore year sitting in my dorm rooms. I, I didn't, I didn't get the student tickets to basketball. So I was at home and I was in my room and I can, I can vividly remember your calls and, and, and especially Gary Thompson, he has such an iconic voice. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, I always remember listening. Uh, I worked at the Yonkers uh, at the North Grand Mall uh, my freshman year. And uh, whenever there were football games that were not home, uh, I was working in the back warehouse there and I was listening to Pete Taylor and I can always remember it just seemed like Pete lived and died with every single play. <laughs> now yeah. you have emotion and whatever, but you would have thought like somebody <laughs> shot his dog whenever a bad play happened. I mean, it was just, you could just live vicariously through him and his absolute either disdain or upset or just absolute devastation when somebody, when something bad would happen. And it's just, he was so good at that, that one of the questions we had was what's probably the best piece of advice or lessons that you learned from Pete, uh, whether it was at channel eight or, or, or involved in cyclone sports there with him. Cause he, I mean, he was cyclone sports for so long and, and central Iowa sports for so long too. Right. You know, I, I wouldn't say it was necessarily just a piece of advice, but what it was, was just seeing his behavior and, seeing the role model that he was and seeing the way that he treated people. To me, that's what I learned. I, I learned a ton about play-by-play from Pete. I learned a ton about TV from Pete. I knew nothing about TV before I started working for Pete. Um, but what I really learned from Pete was just how to treat people. And everybody loved Pete. And that was true of the radio listeners. But that was really true of the people that he worked with because he treated everybody great and there was never anybody that walked away from a conversation with Pete without a smile on their face because he always made you laugh. He had a great sense of humor, didn't take himself too seriously. And to me, that's what I really uh, learned from him. He was, he was like another father to me, really, honestly. And I was just crushed when he passed away. And it was uh, one of the toughest days of my life. It continues to be. And, um, but I absolutely learned a ton about life from Pete. He was so much fun. I mean, that's the part that I wish the fans, I know they, they hung with his every word and you're exactly right about the way he called games. I mean, you know, if I had a nickel for every time I heard Jiminy Christmas, you know, there's another family <laughs> and I was, or, you know, and, and you can almost hear the um, spiking of the headsets onto the desk in front of him with him and Eric and, and uh, man, 
those guys lived and, and died with, with Iowa State, and I do too. I mean, it's the same way with with Eric and I. But it was it was special. And back then, you really had the radio, and that's all you had to listen to those games. You didn't; they weren't on TV very much, and so you you really hung on every word that Pete says. I'm just like you. I was sitting around all those road games, listening to my radio and, and listening to Pete and Eric call the games, and and uh, grew a great appreciation for how great he was during that time. But um, the, the part about him that I wish more people got to see was just the really fun side, the sense of humor that, and I think they did to some degree, but um, when you're around it every day, you really appreciate it. all of us that worked with him just absolutely loved him and, and had so much fun with him. I think that's what part of the connection is to, to, to you guys in that profession. Uh, the people that are going up and listening to you now, people like me that grew up and listened to Pete and you, and even on the Iowa side and Jim Zobel, it, it, it was just listening, like listening to a true fan talking about the game and you and you you lived those emotions with them right along. Right. That's that's kind of um, what is really nice about that. I think when you're the home team play by play announcer, you do kind of live and die with the team a little bit more. Um, you, you see how much these guys have invested. You want them to win. Eric had a great line. You know, he talked about how he and Pete used to look across the TV announcers and I've done some neutral TV games. I did like Oklahoma state Baylor and Kansas state, Missouri, and some, some big 12 games, some Missouri Valley games. And they're fun to do. And you don't, you're not as emotionally invested and you're just, you know, calling it for both teams and, and trying to be enthusiastic when either team does something positive. But Eric used to say that he and Pete would look across the TV announcers and say, man, I wish I was those guys because they don't have to carry the game with them when it's over with meaning, you know, I was <laughs> right. getting beat that day. Yeah. And they're a little jealous that those guys don't care that much. But then when they were winning, those guys would look across the way and go, man, I'm glad I'm not those guys because we, <laughs> right. we care that Iowa yeah. state wins. And, you know, that's so true. I mean, when you, when you allow yourself to get emotionally invested in a team, which you really do as a home play by play announcer and you're at practices and you see how much these guys put into it and you get to know them, you really get close to them and attached. And uh, and I think some of that should come through. I think that's part of being the home team's broadcaster that, you know, you you should feel that sense that you're one of the fans and, and you're the voice of the fans. And so um, that's another thing I learned from Pete. And that just as you mentioned, I mean, people used to say I could always tell if we were winning or losing when I got in the car and turned it on and Pete was on. Mm-hmm. I'd take it a step further and say, I could tell you the margin, you know, like I'd get in and, and <laughs> Pete would be either really disgusted or really happy. And I'd say, that oh, sounds to me like they're down about two touchdowns, you know, and then Pete would say it's 27 to 13, four minutes, you know, I was usually pretty close. Um, so yeah, you could tell, you could tell how the game was going right down to the score pretty much just by hearing the tone of his voice. So I, you mentioned a couple other legends, um, Eric Heft being one of them who has, yes, absolutely seen the highest and the highest and the lowest of the lows uh, for Iowa state. And so I can absolutely imagine the level of kind of emotional investment uh, a guy like, like him has, but he's been one of those very, very consistent that, you know, somebody that I listened to growing up that now my nephew, who who is at Iowa state right now, uh, one of the questions that he had for you is what it's like working uh, with a guy like Eric Haft. I love working with Eric. He is uh, another guy that has a great sense of humor. He's a lot of fun. He too does not take himself too seriously. So he's fun to travel with. I mean, we have a, a great time, you know, the night before a game, we'll just get a beer, 
get something to eat, share some stories. And he's so much fun to be around. He's really intelligent. He was class valedictorian at his high school. Uh, I think that comes across the broadcast. He really knows what he's talking about. Um, but he is a diehard cyclone. I mean, he played for Iowa State under Maury John. And, you know, I mean, he just he played in the very first game in Hilton Coliseum when Iowa State beat Arizona. Eric played in that game. So we talked about the fact that you could probably count on your 10 fingers easily the number of games that Eric has missed in Hilton Coliseum over the course of all the 51 years. I mean, and that's pretty amazing to think about. He's seen more games without a doubt in my mind. He's seen or been a part of more games in Hilton Coliseum than any other person in, in Iowa State men's basketball history. So, uh, and you know, when he came on board to do the, the football games with Pete too, um, he adds a lot to the football broadcast. And again, Puts his ego aside. We, we added Ryan Harklaw to our broadcast this year. He wanted a football voice in that broadcast. Um, and I think that's really cool. Hark has been a great addition to our broadcast. Ben Bruns was awesome. The years prior to that, Ben moved up to the Green Bay, Green Bay area. So it was really cool to get one of his uh, former teammates to, to slide into that role. And we just have a lot of fun. I mean, uh, Eric, and you talk about a guy who lives, breathes cyclones every single day. And, you know, if you watch closely on a game, you'll see the scowl that, that he gives to the officials from time to time. He's got a little bit better than that, uh, a better about that in recent years. But I do recall when Wayne Morgan was coaching, uh, you know, we were at Oklahoma State and Wayne Morgan had, had just gotten tossed. And then Curtis Shaw, who was officiating that game, looked over at Eric and he was giving him the look and he said, you want to be next? And, <laughs> and uh, so, so Eric kind of let it go at that point. But he's, he's walked that fine line a few times. But, man, that just shows you how much he loves Iowa State. And uh, he's just a blast to work with and really good at it. I mean, I, I think he's really an excellent color analyst. And you can pick up all the nuances of the game by listening to Eric. And so I think, he, I think he's as good as there is anywhere in the country. For sure, he is. Uh, one of the um, one of the things I think I like most is is after uh, the games, he do, he does his interviews down in the locker room, which I can't imagine that that's got to be probably the hardest thing to do to go in there after a loss and to ask those kids those questions and have and for them to to be honest and answer those as best as they can. Um, I, I can't imagine that was a lot of fun in some of those lean years but it probably makes it a little better here the last five or six years with some of the successes that we've had. No doubt about it. And I think that one thing that helps Eric in both situations after a win or after a loss is the fact that he played. I mean, he was a, he was a a basketball starter for Iowa state. He's played the game. He understands it. He he understands the lows of losing and the highs of winning. And I think he frames his, his questions to those guys really well, but they know that uh, he's one of them, you know, he's on their side. And, and um, so th- they get that. And I, I think they appreciate that. And, you know, a, a lot of times what people don't see, and this is something that really sucked during COVID, uh, a, you know, a year ago when we weren't doing the games in person, we struggled through that two and 22 season. And we had all these new guys on the team and Eric and I never really got to sit with those guys. And so when they come out after a loss or when, and they sit down with us to do the interview, we get a couple minutes there where we can talk to them off the air and just, you know, hey, good effort, you know, you'll get the next one or whatever. And for Eric, that was really important before he started those interviews. 
Well, last year they were all on the phone. And so it was like, man, he, he's especially really never got to know the guys. I was around him a little bit more just with press conferences and stuff like that, but he really never got to know Tyler Harris and Jalen Coleman lands in person as much as I did. And as much as he would have liked to be able to talk them through some of those situations and not, not give them advice, but just let them know, Hey man, it's okay. You gave a great effort. And, and so that was hard. That was really hard. But I, I think his relatability with the athletes is something that really comes through in those interviews. And again, he's intelligent, you know, he understands the game and he sees it and, and dissects it. And I think there's little nuances that he picks up that a lot of people wouldn't, that he can frame into a question where those guys appreciate that knowledge of the game. Was Do you think last year's basketball season was probably one of the strangest ones that you guys have gone through with COVID and then obviously the team's performance and so on? I mean, did you go on the road games at all? How did that work? No, we did the games all remotely, the, the road games. We did the home games in Hilton, but we did them on the opposite side of the bench. So we weren't right down there with the guys. And even those interviews for the home games were done over a phone. So um, again, we didn't really have that close contact with the guys, which we totally understood, but um, doing those games on the road from a monitor down at KXNO, uh, man, we really appreciate what they did to set it up for us, but that was tough. And, And the very first one we did remotely was the game at Iowa. And you're really at the mercy of what they feed you. Okay. So they can give you the, the in-house feed, like a wide camera, or they can give you their video board feed or whatever. Well, Iowa gave us their video board feed. So Luca Garza Mm -hmm. makes a basket, which was often in that game. Okay. And then as Pete and I, or Eric, Eric and I are trying to call the ensuing possession for Iowa state. We're watching on our monitor the replay of Luca Garza scoring again. It was painful enough mm. the first time. I don't need to see it a second time, and I'm also missing out on our possession. Right. So it was brutal. We were trying to fill in the gaps, and it was just a hard way to call games. Thankfully, the technology on that got better as the season went, but it's still you miss so much when you're not there in person and you don't see the facial expressions and the effort and the the things that happen away from the basketball as much. So. Last year was as weird a year as I can possibly remember having empty football stadiums. I mean, just the whole thing was surreal and um, it was really tough, especially the way basketball went. I mean, Eric and I both love coach Prome. He was a tremendous guy to work with and had had a lot of success uh, in his early years at Iowa state. And for whatever reasons last year just kind of fell apart at the seams and it was tough, man. Like I said, you get emotionally invested and, um, the only good thing about doing the games remotely is that, you know, if we got beat in Austin, Texas and the game ended at 11, you know, 1030 at night, and the interviews ended at 11. I was in bed by 1115, you know, <laughs> <But> instead <laughs> of flying all the way back. So, you know, there were some advantages in that way, but uh, I would not ever want to do it again that way. Yeah, I can't imagine what it's like so many times when I watch a game on TV, I won't have the sound on TV. I'll ha- have on uh, your broadcast, because you're going to tell me a whole lot more of the things that I can't see when I'm watching. Um, so many things that that um, I'm not getting that a TV camera didn't get, right? So if something goes on, because not everything is caught by the guys operating the camera. True. So we need someone like you that can can fill us in for that. That had to have just felt like it was, it was missing for you. What were there any other tools or any other things that, that you could possibly get to be able to, to share the story as great as you did? 
Well, we, you know, we had the our laptop set up to have live stats and things like that that are that mimic some of the things that you would have at the game and but it's just not the same. I mean, you don't hear the PA announcer, you know, you can't look up at the the scoreboard and see who the foul was called on. There's just little things or see the referee, you know, indicating number 24 got the foul. So I mean, that was the hardest thing is IDing who got fouls and mm-hmm. just trying to keep up with it. I mean, it was just you always felt like you were a step behind. And you know, I've tried to I've tried to do what you did. I I try to listen to games and uh, on the radio and watch them on TV, but the delay kills me to death. And, yeah. And so, yeah. well, my mom used to do that, and she said that I let her know when to turn toward the TV and, and watch it, and when to turn away <laughs> if, if something bad was about to happen. So, I guess there's advantages to that. But man, I I tell you, I, I would if they say to me right now, you never have to call another game remotely. I am a hundred percent for that because it was, it was really tough to do. And I, I hate the fact that ESPN and all these cost cutting measures and some of these other networks are still doing so many games remotely. These announcers are really good and they can pull it off, but it just isn't the same as has being there talking to the coaches, being at practice. It is just not the same. And so to me, it's like, okay, ESPN, you're saving what, maybe a couple thousand dollars by not sending the guys, but the, grand scheme of a, a really good broadcast and how important that is to you. I would think that's a drop of the bucket, man, spend the money, get these guys there. And I, I just think it adds a ton when they're there in person. Yeah. Sell one more ad. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Get somebody to sponsor their trip. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of trips, uh, one question that I've had, cause you've been able to go a lot of places, not just around the big 12, but you've mentioned, you know, calling, Missouri Valley games, certainly getting to go to uh, other arenas for tournaments, things like that. What are some some of your favorite places that you've been to, both either just to to go because of the atmosphere and the facilities are nice and some places that are really great to call a game? Well, I always enjoy most going to the places where it's hardest to win. I mean, to me, because that's the, the ultimate challenge. And that's when it's really fun is when you win a game that nobody's expecting you to win. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I always enjoyed, I, I love going to Oklahoma for football uh, because it's so difficult there and the fans are right on top of you. And when we won there in 2017, that was as much fun. And, and I mean, totally unexpected. I mean, Kyle Kemp's going to make his first start. The guy's a fifth year senior that's thrown two forward passes in his career, you know, and here he is going into Oklahoma as a 33 point underdog and winning. I'm not sure you can top that. Um, but Texas A&M was a fun place to go for football. Uh, you'd get dizzy if you looked up and saw the swing on the opposite side with all the fans. You'd think the whole upper deck was actually swaying back and forth. It was a really cool environment. One of my favorite road football games that, that we called was at Nebraska. The 9-7 win under Paul Rhodes' first year <laughs> when the turnovers were 8 nothing. That was one of my favorites too, John. <laughs> oh, man. I just – because I remember I drove over there with Eric the day of the game. And we're, you know, as we often do, we're driving and we're convincing each other, hey, we got a great chance to win today. You know, if we play well, we're going to, we got a great chance to win. All of a sudden we get a call from Tom Crochelle, the sports information director at the time. And he calls and says, guys, uh, Austin Arnott's not playing. Jerome Tiller's going to start. And Alexander Robinson's not playing. So we start a freshman running back who's never played and a freshman quarterback who's never played. And by the way, they're going to face Indomitian Sue. Okay. So, um, so we just as quickly as we talked ourselves into, we're going to win. We talked ourselves into, we have no shot. And then 
to go win the turnover battle eight nothing and win that game. I just remember at the end of the broadcast, uh, the feeling of, of winning that game. We had a bunch of guys. What I didn't know during the broadcast is we had a bunch of guys sick. So Jesse Smith throwing up in the garbage can and all these guys, man, there's like 20 guys that had the flu on top of it all. And I remember looking up and I, I, the broadcast ended and I said, Eric, there's 84,000 people here. They're going to walk out of here and go, man, that was ugly. But as far as I'm concerned, other than the day I met my wife, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder, right? But uh, for sure, football, places like that where you're, you're not expected to win and you do, that makes it even more fun. Same thing goes for basketball. Going into Allen Fieldhouse, which we'll do on Tuesday, is always an adrenaline rush because you know how hard it is. And Iowa State's won, won there more than any Big 12 school, but it, it is hard to do every time. And so when you do it, man, you just you, that's one you're never going to forget. So I love going to that place. One thing that struck me early on in doing these games was we had a <laughs> not a conventional road trip. We went to Virginia and played at Virginia and then went to San Diego State. Um, that was a good piece of scheduling and didn't stop in between. So, <laughs> but, but at both Virginia and San Diego State, there were a ton of Iowa State fans. And that really struck me. It's like, man, it doesn't matter where you go, anywhere in the country. Um, this alumni base is so connected to their university and these people, People just they're itching for that chance to get out and see Iowa State in person. And so there were great Iowa State turnouts at both those places. So I've really enjoyed everywhere we've gone. But when you play at a place where people think you got no shot, that's the most fun. You talk about Cyclone Nation uh, going everywhere. The Vegas trip this September was my wife's and I's first probably venture to an outside game like that. And we were just blown away by the sea and sea of red that was heading into Allegiant stadium. It, it literally was like a zombie apocalypse of people just, just flowing into that stadium. Were you a little surprised at how big that was? I mean, it was the first trip that they got to go on in a year and a half because of COVID. It, right. It and a, since and people couldn't go to the Fiesta bowl. And so I think right. they, took, they took that money that they had set aside for that. And, you know, I can't say I was surprised because everybody I talked to, said they were going. It was like, you know, it's like you think you'd ask 50 people, are you going to go to Vegas? And you, you know, maybe 20 of them would say yes. And 30 would say no, no, 50 out of 50. Everybody's like, yeah, we're going. Oh yeah, we're going. And so I thought, man, this is going to be nuts. And sure enough, it was and really cool stadium and great experience. I think that's something that every Cyclone fan should do is try to get to a, either a bowl game or a road venue for a basketball or football game, because it's such a different experience. If you've just gone to Hilton or you've just gone to Jack Trey stadium, it's fun. It's a blast. It, it, it's awesome. But there's something really cool about going into a road venue where everybody's against you. And then you've got this little pocket of your fans. That's just going to yell louder than they've ever yelled to do their part. And, uh, but that, that trip to Vegas was surreal. That was, that was really impressive. I think they all have their, their little mini trips that they like to go on. My neighbor, Mike Rouse and, uh, and a friend, Chris, and those guys, they make the trek to Kansas state every year. That's their, that's their go-to trip. They have a, a, a group of K state fans that they met and got to know, and they kind of hang out with them. And, but that's their trip every two years is to go to the Kansas state game. So these guys have scars because yeah, I mean, <laughs> right, yeah. I mean there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of bad football trips to Manhattan, Kansas, um, and some yeah. good ones, especially lately. But uh, yes, 
Yeah, yeah. There's been a few that uh, I, I I'm still trying to forget. That uh, that group of guys that Mike goes with, though, I've met a couple of them. They're they're really nice. You know, I, I think as of late, for whatever reason, Kansas State has become sort of this weird uh, rivalry with with Iowa State fans that I I had not experienced before. But those those guys are are uh, uh, a good group. So at least when when Mike's going to watch some pretty disappointing games. at least he's he's hanging out with some people that aren't going to destroy him yeah there was some confusion about some guy edited some clips of brock Purdy turning the ball over and and people thought it was the voice of the wildcats let me just be really clear the voice of the kansas state wildcats is wyatt thompson and he is an absolutely awesome guy who would never do anything like that all right and most of the kansas state people i've encountered are like that too so I'm not sure who that slappy was that did that. I, I can tell you this. Um, I'm thankful that if that's their Chris Williams, that we have our Chris Williams because Chris spends his time, you know, coming up with a fundraiser to help out children's hospital or, uh, you know, giving out um, money to help various charities. Um, and that's a better use of your time than trying to take down some kid from another school. What do you get out of that? You know? So um, anyway, I digress, but I, I really like Kansas state fans. I think most of them are very relatable with us. Uh, it's an ag school. It's a, you know, it's a, a land grant university. Uh, we we're original members of the big eight and I've always been treated really great by the people at Kansas state. When we go in there should be a trophy game, John should be a trophy game. Yeah. We got to come up with the Farmageddon trophy, you know, I, I, I'd I mean, love to see that game at, at Arrowhead more like I think that'd be yeah. a great game for something like that. Well, those two years that they played it there back to back, it was two crushing losses, you know, yeah. I mean, both <laughs> at, right, right at the end, that was just in that string of where it didn't matter where we were playing them. We just, Bill Snyder was, you know, he was, a he was the vampire. We couldn't, we couldn't do anything to stop it until Ben Bruns brought the uh, garlic cloves and, and, and laid them on the <laughs> sideline before we finally beat him that one year. But uh, man, that was, that was a good curse to end. But I do know this Bill Snyder's last game against Iowa state, Iowa state won. that game. I mentioned at Nebraska. I mean, how many times did Iowa state go into Lincoln and, and not win? Well, we walked off with a win there in our last game in Lincoln, Nebraska, Hayden Fry, 15 straight years beating Iowa state. His last game against Iowa State, we hung the L on him. So, you know, it's good to get these walk-offs in some of these situations. <laughs> right? Well, as soon as Texas walks off into the SEC, we can claim that too. So, Well, there's another one. You know, yeah. I mean, kind of had their number in recent years. So, I don't I don't have any problem with that. That's been fun to, to beat them. And, you know, what's so cool in football is now, as if you guys, you know this. I mean, as fans – for years, what I was talking about going over to Lincoln, Nebraska, trying to convince yourself on the drive over there that you got a shot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think as fans, we've always done that. We've always wanted to feel like, hey, we have a shot every week. But I don't think you have to talk yourself into it as much as you used to. No. <laughs> I think oh, with Matt Campbell all. and what he's done and how remarkable it's been with this football program, you legitimately, and it doesn't matter if it's in Norman, Oklahoma, or wherever it is, or who you're playing, Clemson doesn't matter. You feel like if your guys execute and, and play well, that you're going to win. And that's an awesome feeling. And uh, man, I, I love what Matt's done with the program. It's been so much fun to be a part of it and be around it. I, uh, I said uh, at the, a couple of times this year, after some crushing losses, 
I said, after my initial, you know, I was pissed off that we didn't win the game. I will take every year feeling the way we did at the end of this year in that I had expectations that we should win every game and we should win that and be mad that we didn't. Then the previous seasons when I was like, well, uh, I'd be all right if we could, you know, make it close. Right. You know, I, I will take the crushing upset disappointment every year because that means I expect us to be good every year mm-hmm. because we have that capability as opposed to the, to some of the lean years that we had before. Yeah. And, and I think it's realistic to, to think that we're going to continue to be good. And I'm not trying to prop up expectations right now because that, I think preseason expectations, it's kind of a weird thing. You, you base so much on what you thought going and you spend all summer talking about a season, mm-hmm. but there's so much ebb and flow to a season that you're not the same team in September that you are in November. It's not even close. And you guys get hurt or other guys step up and take positions or, you know, it just seasons have so much, um, you know, flow to them. It, it's not like a steady linear thing. And so, but, but, but what's cool is that with the number of returning players we have coming back and how good I think they are, these young players, uh, I don't think there's going to be some big drop off. And I think nationally people are going to think that Iowa state's going to drop way off next year because they are losing a lot of great players. There's no doubt guys that have transformed the program, but the recruiting classes coming in behind them are really, really good players. And Matt and his staff are tremendous at player development. And so if these guys have a high, a higher starting point than the Greg Eisworths and the Charlie Kohlers did coming in, you know, you'd like to think that, as they work with these guys, they can at least do as well as those guys did. And I think they will. And I think there's a lot of players that are going to be really good players for Iowa State that a lot of player, a lot of fans haven't really gotten to know yet. And they will definitely get to know them next fall. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'll just read this quote that Nick Saban had today because I find it fairly. Uh, <laughs> I know where you're uh, going. I find it. You know where I'm going, Tim. I, I, I find know exactly it fairly, where you're going. Uh, reminiscent of something else I heard just lately. Every player in the organization, every player on the team would maximize his full potential. That's his definition of a successful season. I would say that if every player in the organization could get to that point, that in my mind would be a successful season. Weird. That sounds familiar, John. Yeah. It's something else, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, I'm sure Brady Quinn absolutely eviscerated him for that. <laughs> I've never seen, I've never seen a quote taken not out of context, but just misunderstood so much. Mm-hmm. And you have to be around Matt and his program on a daily basis to, to get where he's coming from with all that. Um, he's not going to hang a number and say, if we don't get to this number, our season's not successful. And he sure as heck not going to define a season. This is where I think it really starts. Matt is not going to define a season in the middle of a season. This season's been a success. This season's been a failure. He's not going to do that in game eight. I mean, right. and, and he has said uh, the success of our season will be determined when it's all over. He said that a million times. And so that was just another way of saying, look, I want these guys to max out, period. And as they do that, the other stuff will fall into place. Yeah. And so, I mean, anybody that questions uh, Matt's motivational tactics or thinks he doesn't want to win. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, there, there is nobody more competitive than Matt Campbell. And believe me, he wants to win, but he wants to do it the right way. And I've seen Matt 
after a win be way more ticked off than he is after a loss because he didn't feel like his guys played to their max potential in that win. So he's always measuring himself against the golf course. You know, uh, Eric Heft can go shoot 72 and beat me shooting 104, you know, but if Eric shoots 92, he's not going to be very happy, even though he beats me shooting 104, he's playing the golf course. And so that that's what Matt does. You know, he's measuring his guys against how good they can be. And he does that week after week. And he's done that since the minute he got here. That's not something new that started this year with this team. So that's just the way he is. And that's the way it will always be here. And, and people need to understand that. I think for a lot of people on the outside looking in, Matt is the most polarizing coach for non-cyclones that I have ever known in my entire life, because either he is the hottest ticket coach who's going to leave every five seconds, or he's the most overrated coach that could ever (laughs) possibly be. And it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of middle ground. It seems like people want to jump on one of those two with him. Uh, But you're right. Not that any of them have ever actually gotten to know him beyond what they just read in that. I don't don't think there is anything overrated about Matt Campbell. I mean, what he's done has been absolutely incredible. Um, And yeah, I mean, polarizing is probably right. Um, But uh, he, you know, it's hard when all of a sudden this, this program that you were used to just beating every time you faced him, all of a sudden is giving you all you can handle. And maybe some people don't handle that very well. Uh, but I think nationally and certainly within the the coaching world, there is a ton of respect for Matt and what he's done. And um, they understand it. He didn't take shortcuts. It wasn't like he said, okay, we're going to go get 30 guys out of the transfer portal and try to turn this thing around overnight. I mean, when he came in and immediately started bringing in these recruits, look at, go back and look at like his recruiting classes, look at the first class that he signed within a couple of months after taking the job. And look at how many really, really good players came out of that class and then go to the next class. And I mean, it's like, man, he has, he has upgraded um, the level of player coming into the program. And then he's also developed them at a super high level. But I think the thing that the players appreciate about Matt is his sincerity. I mean, the guy is literally the same guy that every single day, right down to wearing the same outfit every day. I mean, you know, he's got the same sweats on every single day. Every press conference, he's wearing the exact same thing. Joel Lanning used to laugh about that. But, I mean, when you say a guy is the same guy every day, nobody fits that description better than Matt Campbell. So that's good for players to have that kind of consistency. And, you know, if your message is swaying all over the place and you're not the same guy every day, then they don't know what they're getting. And I think for any leader, that consistent message is so vital. And maybe fans get sick of hearing best version of ourselves and some of the other Matt Campbellisms because, but what's he supposed to do? You know, is he supposed to come up with some new phrase just to make you happy? No, he's, he's consistent with his message and the guys appreciate that. And they understand that and they, they can read deeper into it than what's on the surface. And I think if people would really listen to Matt's press conferences, there's a lot in there. You, you got to pay attention and you got to kind of get through the, the cliches that he does throw in there, but in there, there's always a lot of substance. There's always a lot of things that you can go, okay, that, that is exactly what he's all about. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I love his consistency and his message. And I think that's one of the huge reasons why he's had so much success. 
So I, I admire, sorry, Tim. No, go ahead. I admire that he rose above uh, reacting to that, but a little bit of me wanted him to pull out a little bit of Johnny Orr. Eviscerate <laughs> him like he did Dick Vitale on national TV, which leads me to my question of I I, I know you weren't calling uh, for Cyclone Sports, but you were doing TV when Johnny was there. I I got to know probably one of the best. Tell me a just an odd or a random Johnny Orr story that that's maybe one of your favorites that makes you chuckle. Well, I'll give you my top. Uh, how about I give you my top three or four? Perfect. I, I, yeah, I'm sure there's not just one you can pick out. I mean, if you're like if you're like me, you can never have enough Johnny Orr stories. So one of my all-time favorites was uh, they had just lost the night before at Oklahoma. And Oklahoma hit just a bunch of really deep shots. I mean, just it was amazing to watch. And but it was a tight game, and Iowa State lost it. And I was sitting down with Coach Orr to interview him the next day. We're just sitting right by the court. And where the Pioneer logo is now, they had that big barrel-chested sock. Mm -hmm. You know, that one that would parade around. And so that was the image, the the cartoon character basically out on the floor about 35 feet from the bucket. And so I said, we're just talking. We're not even on camera yet. And uh, I said, man, Coach, they hit some deep shots. And he goes, ah, I told our guards, you get out there and guard them by that chicken. And he pointed at, <laughs> at Cy, and so that that was one of my favorites. And then another time, uh, his press conferences were absolutely legendary. So um, when they when they won in Minneapolis against Michigan in the NCAA tournament, in 1986, mm-hmm. and Michigan was the Big Ten champion and had Roy Tarpley and you know Antoine Gilbert, and they were a great team. They they were, I think, a one or two seed and. And Iowa State, nobody's given him a shot to, to win. And I was at that game, and I went into the press conference afterwards. And you got to remember, you're in a Big Ten city. You're in Minneapolis. You're facing the Big Ten champions, Michigan. Johnny, of course, had been at Michigan. But everybody, all the writers there are basically there to cover Michigan advancing. They're not there to cover Iowa State. So anyway, press conference starts, and the Big O had been sick as a dog all day. But he gets in there, and he goes, you people. They don't think we play good basketball in the big eight. Don't shit yourself. Yeah, that's how he started his press conference. <laughs> <laughs> and, but he had a press conference at home one time when, uh, again, they had lost two or three really, really tough games in a row. I mean, just crushing, heartbreaking losses. And uh, Tim Swore was one of the TV guys. He, he ended up in Detroit, but he was in Cedar Rapids at the time. And so, He's operating the camera, but he asked a question from the back row to start off the press conference. He goes, Coach, is it, is it difficult to lose all these close games in a row? And Orr goes, of course it's difficult. He goes, you ever been involved in athletics? Tim's like, uh, yeah. And he goes, what you play? Ping pong? <laughs> and so, man, you, you couldn't top his press conferences. You, it, the guy was absolutely the best. And, uh, man, I, I there's another guy who treated me like gold. I mean – I was this kid in college that Pete had hired and he didn't have to treat me well, but Johnny always treated me well. And um, it was so much fun to go up and visit with him. And uh, man, I miss him. He was, he was absolutely awesome. And you guys know this better than anybody, but when you're in the arena, when you're in Hilton Coliseum and you're getting ready to play second rank Kansas or number one, whoever, and Johnny comes out, the band starts playing and he's pumping that fist. If you didn't get a chill down your spine, you weren't alive. You I know? just and, I just got a chill when you were describing yeah. that. Oh, what my, that was it like. was 
it was so awesome. It was so awesome. And man, and Hornacek even said it in our hundred years of basketball uh, video that we did. You know, he says, you look over at the other team in their warm-up line and they're all looking at <laughs> an or coming out, you know, they're, they're looking at the sideshow and, and you're thinking, we got them. We, we got these guys right where we want them. They're all caught up in Johnny coming out. And, and uh, you know, they, they were practically unbeatable at home during those years. And those crowds were incredible. And uh, yeah, that, that statue of him is absolutely right where it belongs in Hilton Coliseum because he did change the, the face of Iowa state athletics, probably as much as any person who's ever come along. And um, I miss him as his family's great. And, um, and it was hard to lose in Jim Hallahan this past year too. Uh, um, but man, some special memories of those guys for sure. Yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, you don't have, there's no such thing as Hilton magic without KOTOR hundred percent at all. And, and with Hilton magic is when you got not just Iowa state basketball, but Iowa state sports really kind of put on the map, um, because of all of that. And because of his big personality and by the way, props for a very spot on Johnny Orr impersonation. That was very yes. good. <laughs> <laughs> coach. <laughs> everybody everybody imitates or nobody's really good at it, including me but uh that but one yeah. was pretty good that one it, definitely sounded it, a lot more like good. it than a lot of the ones yeah yeah he was he was so much fun and i mean you just it's like that one you know they beat second rank i think it was like second rank kansas third rank missouri and he's at his press conference he goes you know we beat the number two and three teams in the country now just in case you want to put that in the paper. (laughs) (laughs) The guy, he was the funniest guy without ever really trying to be funny that I can ever remember. My, my first recollection of his uh, reactions like that was Victor Alexander's senior year after the very last game. And then he, it was like, he was waiting all year and absolutely eviscerated the big eight. (laughs) <laughs> the amount of abuse that Victor Alexander took in every possession. And I mean, it was probably a five minute tirade of how much they hammered that poor guy and he never got a foul called. Yeah. And I was like, who is this guy? I'm like, where's this guy been all year? It's like they punished Victor for being big, right? Yeah. Yes. No, absolutely. Yeah. One of the all time greats, great hands. And, and oh man, he could work an official too, you know, and I've got a few <laughs> of those stories too, but I won't, I won't delve into those because they're a little bit more, <laughs> um, not rated G, but uh, so, some fun ones for sure. Oh man, Vic, with because yeah, he was he was just the biggest guy on the court with the softest hands that could no doubt, right? Exactly, uh, just just fun to watch. I think that that brand of Iowa State basketball uh, still has to be some of of my favorite of all time. Yeah, um, one brand of Iowa State basketball that I did not fully that I'm surprised is how gritty particularly on defense this current team uh is it's a it's a, a it's certainly uh you know vastly different than than kind of the more run and gun we've seen in the past uh it's a style of of basketball that I think a lot of people would want to say is boring but when you watch these guys it's anything but they're they're playing for each other. They're diving for loose balls. They're doing a little bit of everything. Um, to, yeah. To me, that is Hilton magic. You know, it's, it's, it's not defined necessarily by offense. It's, it's defined by our fans appreciation for guys doing the things you just said. 
for diving on the floor after the loose ball, for taking a charge. There was a tremendous example of that, I thought, in the Texas Tech game. So, you know, we don't score for the first eight minutes, right, of the second half. And then Caleb Grill gets fouled and makes two free throws. And the place is going nuts. And, you know, and we're getting back on defense. And you're thinking to yourself right then, okay, we're going to get a steal. We're going to get a dunk. We're going to go on a 15 nothing run, and we're going to blow this thing open. And it didn't happen. But that doesn't change the fact that our fans were going absolutely nuts on that defense possession, even though it didn't work out exactly the way they were hoping. But that's how into the game these fans are. I mean, make two free throws. Okay, now we got them. Now we got them. We finally scored. And this fan base gets that. And that's what makes Hilton Coliseum such a special place. But I think these fans have really connected with this group of guys because they love the effort. They can see it. They can see how hard they're playing and how they are playing for each other. And they get it. We probably don't have as much talent as Kansas or Baylor, but we can play right with those teams and have a chance to beat them. And we're going to be in a lot of games because of how hard these guys play. And so, uh, the job TJ's done has been incredible. Um, and I credit the players. And, and I think Eric made a great point when he talked about, you know, the importance of TJ going out and recognizing getting the right kind of guys that could come in, even as grad transfers that would give themselves up for the team. Guys like Isaiah Brockington and Gabe Kalsher that could come in and set something up here. And not every guy's like that. You know, a lot of guys are going to grad transfer and say, where can I get my shots? Where can I go score? 16, 17 a game. And with these guys, it was just much more of, you know, I'm going to give myself up for this team's success. And I think TJ established that very early. And I just give him a ton of credit. To me, he's still the national coach of the year front runner, uh, certainly the Big 12 coach of the year front runner. And the, the job he's done, I, we're going to enjoy it the rest of the year. They've got a lot of tough games left, but. Man, the appreciation for the way these guys play. I don't think that's going anywhere. You know, one player I think that probably uh, stands out for me more than anyone is is uh, Tristan Enaruna. I think he is showing all the, the potential that Bill Self thought uh, he was going to have. And, you know, I, I saw some talking head on Twitter say something about how uh, how much TJ is getting out of out of him and a bunch of Kansas fans who have obviously never watched a, a second of, of this year's Iowa State team, chimed in with, that, oh, well, there's no expectation of playing defense at Iowa State. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and, I, and I'm like, <laughs> you very clearly haven't watched it. And, and you know, just how, like, <laughs> just out of touch and, and kind of, you know, in the clouds they are, but also just the fact that, you know, the biggest gripe about a player uh, at a place like Kansas was that he doesn't play defense. And now what he is, is is not a selfish basketball player on the floor at Iowa state. And he is one of those guys where maybe he doesn't always have the greatest game, but he, I can still tell that he's putting in uh, plenty of effort. And I can tell that his teammates are, are trying to lift him up and, and that he's still very much a part of that team. Well, with TJ, basically, if you're not going to commit to the defensive end of the floor, you're not going to play. And Tristan has started every game. And the combination of he and Jazz Coons has really given Iowa State way more than I think anybody could have expected from that four position. So mm -hmm. uh, those two guys have been a great one-two punch. And Tristan, with his length and athleticism, said it from the minute he arrived on campus. He reminds me of Abdul Nader. Yeah. Kind of looks like him. is about the same size, the athletic ability. 
Um, the gracefulness with which he glides to the basket, can finish with either hand, really good knack for offensive rebounding, takes charges. I mean, I, I think Tristan, we have just started to scratch the surface of what Tristan can become. And he right now he's not consistent. You know, he had the 20-point game, um, which was incredible, or 23-point game against Baylor, and hasn't scored nearly that much since. But I think what we have to do as fans is, and I think this is true in just about anything in life, the 23-point game isn't necessarily what he's going to do every single night. Enjoy it while it's happening. Understand that the real Tristan probably falls somewhere in between, you know. And yep. But he, as he continues to work and grow, and he's just he's still a young guy, I mean, he, he can be a tremendous basketball player. And um, I, I love the things that he's bringing to the floor right now. Those offensive rebounds and putbacks can really ignite a team. And – this team at times struggles to score a little bit. Having a guy that will go get it on the offensive glass and get you some putbacks can keep you out of slumps. And I, I think that Tristan's a, a critical part of Iowa State's season going forward. Yeah, I was at that Texas Tech game, speaking of what you said, when that when that when those two free throws were made. You could feel it building with every missed shot. We were ready to explode and when it was finally just free throws, we were like, okay, let's go. You know, Good enough so, for me. <laughs> it was something. Uh, I, I went with a buddy of mine, and I leaned over and I said, I'm, I'm sorry that this is the game that we came to. I think we've scored four points in, in, in the half here with 10 minutes left. But uh, we'll take the win. After, after everything we've Absolutely. been through, we'll take the win. So what? Um, moving a little bit off of Iowa State sports and whatever, you, you seem to be a pretty busy guy writing a book, uh, Cyclone Sports. You work for Cyclones TV. What, what's, what's a normal day for you? Is it kind of jam-packed? Uh, you do more than, than just what I had spoken about a little bit. Outside of authoring in sports, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, I, I love playing golf. I'm not very good at it. Uh, I love going for walks um, just around our neighborhood. I mean, that's really boring, but I love getting fresh air and getting outside. Um, I have three daughters and so love pouring into them and my wife and, and, um, very blessed to have a great family and we live in Ankeny and, um, I've just been really fortunate. I've been, I feel so blessed in my life that, you know, uh, the opportunities have presented themselves the way they have. And I never look at it as work, even though I do, especially this time of the year, I do work a lot of hours and, you know, before I talk to you guys tonight, I'm working on my game prep for Kansas. And when I'm done talking to you, I'm going to go back and work some more on my game prep for Kansas. And this is, you know, on a day off, but that's kind of typical of what I do, but it's, it doesn't feel like work because I enjoy it so much. Um, but I, you know, I have a lot of great friends. I enjoy being around them. Uh, I, I'm a pretty boring guy, you know, I mean, I, I love my friends and I love my family and um, you know, it, it, it's nothing, it's nothing to write home about, but yeah, I did author a book. Uh, somebody basically asked me if I wanted to write a children's book and I gave it some thought and decided to do that. So that's been a fun project to get involved in, but love to read. I mean, I, uh, I, I'm just, I'm just like you guys, I think. <laughs> oh no, no, Chris can't read. So that oh, okay. already, well, Tim's yeah. got all the books behind him. So I'm figuring out he's got a lot to read. That's a fake. That's, 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 that's fake. That's okay. fake. It's really, it's really a bunch of alcohol behind it. Just... <laughs> I'd go for that too. Yeah. Um. So one question that I did have, this one actually comes from from um, my nephew. But you mentioned 
uh, Pete giving you a, a, a chance and teaching you a lot. Uh, and, you know, you've had the opportunity now to, to be around a lot of these younger guys coming up. It's been fun to see uh, kind of this new batch of, of guys calling Iowa State sports. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to your to your younger self? Oh, wow. Uh, good question. Um, I think uh, when you're young, everything's so amplified. So if you don't get the job that you were hoping to get, you feel like it's just a crushing, awful, horrible experience. Or if, you know, the, the girl you have a crush on has no interest in you, which believe me, I had a lot of experience in that. At the time, you can, you know, it just feels so devastating to you. Um, but I think as you grow older, you realize, okay, life does go on and things are going to be okay. And so don't let the disappointments define you, you know, um, find a way to, to get through them. You know, when, when I was working for Pete, um, and, and Pete decided to leave Channel 8 and go work full-time for Iowa State. And, you know, here this is a – I've never – I don't think I've ever shared this story with anybody, but um, Pete left Iowa, left to go to Iowa State. I kind of felt like, okay, Heidi Soliday is going to be the sports director at Channel 8, and I'm probably going to get to do the weekend sports. And my good friend Jeff Johnson worked in the department as well, and they decided to split up the weekend anchor position. So – Jeff anchored on Saturdays and I anchored on Sundays and I was really crushed by that. I thought, man, it was, I've been here a little bit longer than Jeff. I've waited my turn. And I, you know, I just felt like it was a slap in the face. And I remember talking to Pete and he's just like, man, life is not passing you by here. You know, you're, you're going to be fine. And it turned out to be the biggest blessing in disguise my whole career because it allowed me the opportunity to keep doing games on Saturdays and doing play by play, which if I didn't do that, I never would have, uh, been able to become the voice of the cyclone. So, you know, sometimes you look back and it's like all these things that you thought were this huge disappointment at the time, you know, as they say, one door closes, another one opens. And that's exactly what happened for me. So just kind of gaining that perspective, I guess, is the advice I would give myself. of Don't get so caught up in the moment that you, you know, you can't see the bigger picture, but uh, sometimes that's hard to do. I mean, you're young, you're immature and um, it's very hard to think outside of that moment, but, you know, I talked to my daughters a lot about that too, about, you know, take care of yourself, make sure that you're, <laughs> I'll steal a Matt Campbellism, make sure you're the best version of yourself. <laughs> and then the rest of your life, those other pieces will all fall into place. And so I, I think there's a lot that can be said for just concentrating on being as good as you can, as you can be. And then kind of let the chips fall where they may and nine times out of 10 are going to fall in a way that's going to work out well for you. I, th- I think that's good advice. That's similar to, to what I've, I've had some conversations with Caitlin. Uh, she is starting her student teaching this spring. So kind of the same deal. She's certain things didn't happen. Things have been rough, you know, and this isn't fair because, you know, this, my practicum wasn't normal what what it was for everybody else. And, and, you know, I, you kind of tell her, listen, that, that might sound like it's a bad thing, but in this day and age with COVID and what's going on in the school systems and so on, you're going to be able to come in there and be much more better prepared for what's happening now than say somebody that came out into the profession just two years ago and wasn't prepared for that. Exactly. So, you know, some of those, some of those hardships or whatever, 
uh, can be a positive if you if you take it in a certain way. That's what it is. You just nailed it. You, you it's how you react to it. It's not what happened to you. It's how do you respond to it? And we'll hear Matt Campbell say that. We'll hear T.J. Altsberger say that. Bill Fenley. How are you going to respond to adversity? Um, you know, adversity is coming. It is coming for all of us. Right. How are you going to respond to it? And it sounds corny. It sounds like I'm just doing all the coach speak myself right now. <laughs> but I think in my life, I've, I found that that's true. You know, how you respond to those adverse moments really does define who you are. And and I think that's how you grow as a person. Man, well, it's it, deep. It's corny. It's corny I, until you need it. Uh, I mean, right. I've talked about it quite a bit on this podcast about being sick and having cancer four years ago. And 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 remember having a conversation with my family where they were upset and crying. And, and I was like, we're, we're not we're not doing that. Like, it, it it's a sad thing. But we got one of two choices. We can lay over here and roll over and let, you know, pardon my language, cancer kick the shit out of us. Or we can get up and say, no, that's not happening and take it on head first. And, and those cliches are a cliche until it really means something. Oh, that's uh, good. You have to live it. So I, that's I always, awesome. I'm, I'm impressed by that. I, I always say that the best poker player isn't the one that was dealt the best hand. It's the one who played it right. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, that's, that's so true. And, uh, you know, life's going to deal you a hand, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, how are you going to respond to it? And um, yeah, the, the, the positive people, the, the positive energy people will find a way to turn just about any situation into a positive that they'll grow from and get better. And uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I, I've seen guys with pocket aces lose their shirt and I've seen guys not even look at their cards and win a hand. So, I mean, it, it's how it goes. And I, I think that's not, it's a lot easier to say that when you put it into, to, you know, kind of pithy little platitudes like that. It's a whole other thing to, to be an example of that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably some of the best advice that we've ever gotten from anyone on this podcast. Um John, we don't want to keep you a whole lot since you do have some more prep to do, but Chris, do you have any other questions you wanted to ask him? I just have one and it's, it's more along the lines. Today was a, uh, was the last day of the NFL schedule. Alan Lazard goes off, scores two touchdowns. Uh, it looks like uh, AJ Klein is going to be in the playoffs as well. David had a good year. Kane showed some stuff. What's it, what, what's it personally feel to you? to watch some of those guys finally get their chance and just to shine in the NFL. That's really one of my favorite things is to see these guys go have that success and not, not just in football, if they go success, have success in life, but uh, it sure is fun to turn on your TV on an NFL Sunday and watch Cyclone scoring touchdowns. And I'm a huge David Montgomery fan because I'm a Bears fan and I'm a David Montgomery fan. So that's a nice combination. (laughs) You, Um, (laughs) You, John was my favorite. I knew it. Yeah. It doesn't get much better than that. So, um, but you know, NBA too. I love what George Niang's doing, and you know what Matt Thomas is doing, and Monte Morris, and, and Tyrese Halliburton, and it's so much fun to see these guys live out their dream. And you know, again, I think it comes back to what I was talking about earlier with you guys, which is you're invested because you see how hard these guys work. So, you know, for for a year, uh, I'm doing our our coaches show and behind me every single time is George Niang working on his game, you know, and that's why he's successful. And that's why he's in the NBA and, and having the success 
where Matt Thomas is in that gym every single minute he gets an opportunity. Emily Ryan right now on the women's side in the gym every single day. I mean, those things, when you see that kind of investment on their part, you know, you want to see them do well. And so many of our guys in the NBA are self-made players. And even looking at the uh, current football roster, I mean, Charlie Kohler is going to get an opportunity in the NFL. Nobody thought Charlie Kohler was going to be an NFL player when he was coming out of high school. You know, he didn't have a ton of offers, but he's made himself into the player that he is. Uh, Mike Rose, you know, didn't have a ton of offers. He's going to last a long time in the NFL because the way he runs sideline to sideline, how intelligent he is, the way he plays. And so, man, I I just love seeing these self-made guys. And it's one thing to come into college with just tons of talent. And it was a no brainer that you're going to be a professional. I get that. That's great. Hats off to those guys too, but it's more fun for me to see the ones that kind of said, you know what, I'm going to work so much harder than everybody else that I'm going to make it, even though nobody thinks I am. And they bet on themselves and they, and they won. And there's so many guys at Iowa state and women, Richard Carlton, that you can point to as, as examples of that, that have gone on to have terrific professional careers and, it just makes my day when I see it. I, I love following how all of them are doing at the professional level. Absolutely. My my only other question on a completely random note is, is how come we don't have a cyclone call-in show afterwards like the, the Hawkeyes do? <laughs> how do we how do we rectify that travesty of justice? Well, careful what you wish for, first of all. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was just saying, have you listened to that Hawkeye call-in show? I don't think yeah. I, I, I need to have a whole lot of so, that. No, so I, do have, I mean, we do have one. Um, our it's no, called the Chris Williams reaction. Right. So, the cyclone yeah. reaction show, which I often affectionately refer to as the cyclone overreaction show, because, <laughs> because no matter what happens in that first game, okay, win or lose, people are going to go crazy on it and respond. And it's just like we were talking about earlier with the ebb and the flow of the season. You've got all these preseason buildup expectations. Then you play one game and it's like, okay, that's who we are. That's it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> we're going to be that the rest of the season, good or bad. And then you come to week two and it's like, well, we're not, we're not anything like we were in week one. And so um, you'd think we'd learn by now, but we don't. And that's just part of being a fan and I get it. But uh, yeah, the, uh, the overreaction show, man, that, that one kills me. And uh, yeah, I mean, you got to have a lot of patience to, to deal with some of the stuff that you deal with on those shows. But I, I think Chris and Jack do a great job of talking people off the ledge, uh, you know, and, and really putting, I love the fact that Jack as a former player can kind of add some of the, you know, Hey, trust me, it was better than you thought, or it'll be fine. Um, you know, and I think sometimes we need to hear that as fans. So it's probably a healthy thing in the, in the big picture. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, Hey, I like it. I, I have a group of guys I went to Iowa state with, we all have a text message chain back and forth. And, and I was very impressed uh, by how collected they were uh, after this weekend's unfortunate game that got away. Um, uh, because that's how they phrased it rather than uh, the typical doom and gloom season's over type of thing. But uh, I, I think a lot of that credit too, though, goes back to to Coach Campbell and Coach Otts that you're giving people hope that they never really had before. And so that's, that's pretty exciting. They're good coaches. And, and I haven't gotten into them with it yet, but I gotta, I gotta find out, you know, if there's a little bit of rivalry there with a the Wisconsin whitewater guy and a Mount Union guy, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I, you know, TJ, I know really admires Matt and, and mm-hmm. what he's done and, and wants to, 
teaches like a sponge. He just wants to absorb it. Matt's the same way. I mean, he, Matt's constantly uh, in conversations with people and trying to learn and grow. And I think that's why those guys are both so successful because they don't ever feel like they've arrived. You know, they, they know that they're a work in progress and they continue to grow and learn and check their egos at the door. And man, we are so lucky to have them. Bill Fenley's the exact same way. We've, yeah. We're so lucky to have the coaches. And, and let me say too, man, one of the reasons why we have these coaches and they last so long, and I would point out that Matt Campbell is the second longest tenured coach in the big 12 right now <laughs> um, is because Jamie Pollard, such an awesome guy to work for. Yeah. You could not ask for a better leader, uh, a better guy to guide the athletic department and to understand the big picture and to be there and be supportive, but not get in the way, but just, you know, want to do everything he possibly can to put the coaches in a position to succeed. And to me, that's what an athletic director is all about. Number one, make great hires. Number two, allow them to do their jobs, but give them the tools that they need to have a chance to be successful. And so, um, you know, between the commitment from Dr. Winterstein and Jamie, uh, I, I think at Iowa State, we've got a great commitment right now to successful athletics. And it's really fun to watch because it, I wouldn't say it's always been that way to the degree that it is right now, but you look at the Stark Performance Center and you look at the bridge going up leading into the stadium across the university and man, there's just so many positive things going on. And uh, Jamie's right at the heart of all that. So, you know, we have, no matter how it happened, whether it was luck or whatever, we've fallen into a tremendous athletics director, maybe the best we've ever had at Iowa state. And so this is a special time for Iowa state athletics and, I think we need to enjoy the ride and and not get so hung up on every loss. You know, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. <laughs> what I wrote about was basically, uh, you know, when we lose a game, we don't eat our young, like, like some fan bases do. Okay. So I think our fans have the perspective of, look, we're going to be all right. Nobody likes to lose, but we're going to come back and get the next one. And like I said, we, we talk ourselves into, we are going to get that next one by the time that game rolls around. No. Dare I say we're uh, the best versions of ourselves. There it is. There it is. <laughs> and now if, we're making and progress, man. McCarney, we're, we're getting somewhere with this. That's right. Good. And if Coach McCarney has any uh, has any insight, he talked glowingly of both Coach Campbell and especially TJ. He, no doubt. Uh, he, I, I think he might adopt TJ if he could. He loves <laughs> that guy so much. So, uh, John, we really appreciate it. Uh, I, I know that you were under the weather a little bit, so thank you for coming on, and I hope you have safe travels to to Kansas. And, and of course, pass on to to Jamie our our thoughts and prayers for him too, and his uh, with his diagnosis if you get a chance. Absolutely, so. will do, and appreciate you guys. And uh, it's been a blast to catch up with you. So thanks for doing this, and uh, go Cyclones! Perfect. I don't go think Vikings. I yeah, I don't think I can say it any better. Um, well, you guys have once again listened to another episode of Old Man Strength, a podcast, once again, of the Tailgate Society. Please visit us on the web at thetailgatesociety.com. Please visit our sponsor, Revelton, uh, excuse me, Revelton Distillery. I had a glass of whiskey and apparently that has already caught up to me. <laughs> uh, um, uh, please go ahead and, and go uh, visit Revelton Distillery at visit their tasting room. I think Chris and I are maybe seeing if we can't find a time to make a, a trip to go see them as well. I think it would be an awful lot of fun. Uh, maybe too much fun. 
but I'm very much looking forward to that. If you want to find Chris and I on Twitter, you can find him at SciGrad SciDad. You can find me at Tim Johnson MN. You can find us at Strength underscore Old. I think Old Man Shipley has gotten us on, I don't know, TikTok or some of these other young kid. We're big on TikTok. We're big on TikTok. I'm sure I'm sure we are. (laughs) I'm not going to plug that or encourage anyone to encourage Chris on those applications. Uh, John, where can people find you if if they want to get a hold of you, if you're okay with that? I work right in Hilton Coliseum uh, in the athletics department. So my uh, email address is right there on the cyclones.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter. I don't do a lot of the, I'm sorry. I'm not a TikTok guy, Chris. I, <laughs> yeah. Don't feel bad. Um, You're not much, John. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not even a Facebook guy. I just really, am not. I, You're well, was, I think You're Fred was right when he said social media is going to be the death of us. Fred, Fred was way ahead of his time. Um, <laughs> but I do, I am on Twitter. So it's JW Cyclones TV, but uh, yeah. Um, probably probably easiest just to send me an email if you want to if you want to visit sometime um i yes uh john you're a brave man for for giving out your email address so thank you very much for doing that Um, my pleasure guys thanks for having me thanks excellent well with that everyone folks listeners thank you very much and we will see you guys next time i don't want to get on the bandwagon i'll burn that wagon down and join the band Traveling troubadours terrorizing street corners Just to try to get some supper in our hands Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest Scream bloody murder until someone understands That it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women I make this noise just because I can And we'll all join in To that original sin